The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Father, we thank you today that we have Christ. We thank you for our Savior. And Lord, what a blessing it is to come and gather with your people, to hear your word, to sing your word, to listen to your word. And Lord, help us to act upon your word today. And so, Father, we come, we look forward, we anticipate what you have for us this morning. Lord, I'm, I'm fully aware that I need you, I need your spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd give me liberty, give me your mind, give me boldness. Lord, help me to say only those things that would bring you honor and glory. Lord, bless the service. We think of the fact that later on today that we will see the gospel vividly in front of us through the ordinance of baptism. We thank you for that as well. And so, Lord, we just dedicate this time to you. We thank you. We love you. Bless your word now, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We've just started our series on the book of Corinthians. Working our way through the entire book. And so let me just catch you up to speed this morning on where we're at We open the book, Paul opens this letter, by addressing the Corinthians and their attitude. They were a group of believers who were arrogant. They were full of pride. They wanted to be cool. They wanted to be accepted by the world. Um, They wanted people to know who they were and and their status and their standing and their social structure and, and who they were rubbing shoulders with because it was their culture. And their culture... It just crept sort of into the church. And and now the Corinthian believers are not acting like believers. They're acting like their culture. And so Paul writes this letter, after being removed by about three years, back to them to correct this attitude. And, And what he does is he gives them three points to remember to sort of bring them back to reality of who they are in Christ. We talked about all three of them last week. We said first set, first Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17, he says, listen, don't be so arrogant full of pride. You have to remember, you think the world is impressed by you, but listen, think about the gospel that you believe, the gospel of a crucified Savior. We took some time last week dealing with this, and we won't do it this morning. It would be a good practice for every believer this morning to verbally express what they literally believe about the person of Jesus Christ? That they believe that He existed before He was born in Bethlehem? That they believe He was born in a manger, a stable? That that He grew up as a carpenter? That He taught and preached for about three years? Then He was crucified? On a cross, an excruciating death, he was buried, and his followers said that three days later he just got up. And you and I believe, if we're believers today, that what he did 2,000 years ago brings me reconciliation with God. Now can I tell you something? To the normal person, that sounds crazy. Some of you last week were uncomfortable when I said, That's just crazy. It's like, I don't know how to take that because I believe that. Yeah, I believe it too, but I'm telling you something, it sounds crazy. 
And Paul says, before you try to impress the world, understand you believe in a crucified Savior. And then he says, secondly, not only that, but think about God's choice of you as Corinthian believers. He goes through the next few verses, verses 18 through 31, and says this, um, just so that you know, God is not impressed with you. He has chosen the weak things, the things that are despised, the things that are not, the things that are nothing. That's who He's chosen. He's talking about them. And so, so before you get all haughty and cocky and arrogant, God's not impressed with you. He chose you in spite of you. He lavished His love on you because He's God. And then the third thing that he says to these believers we find in chapter 2. And uh, let me read it for you because we're going to pick up here and then work our way through the passage. So chapter 2, verse number 1, he says, not only should you not be arrogant because of the crucified Christ that you believe in, because God's choice of you, but because of the content of our message. Verse number 1. And I, brethren... When I came to you, came not with the excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now listen, before I get here, I want to say something to you this morning. This chapter, chapter 2, it is packed. It is packed with doctrine. It's packed with teaching. It is deep. It really is. And you're going to see it this morning. Um, so, we're going to work our way through this because in this passage, there are a couple verses that we tend to pull out of context and make them mean something they don't mean. We want to correct that this morning. So it's imperative this morning that you intentionally, intentionally stay with me. Okay, If you hear me doing this a couple times, right, I'm doing this stuff, because I want you to stay with me, all right? I know you love stories, and I do love all this stuff, but we're going to go through the Word, and you need to stay with me. All right? Are you with me? That was good. One person was, yes, I am. All right. All right. Are you with me? Okay. We'll see how it turns on in the next 30 minutes or so, okay? So, so Paul says, I want to bring you back down to earth. Uh, you believe in a crucified Savior. God has chosen you. And then he says, I want you to think about the content of what I preach. He says it's not impressive. It's not impressive in my presentation. Paul didn't go to Corinth trying to be like the sophist or the guy with the rhetoric and, and just the words just, just sort of just like honey coming from his lips about the gospel. He went to Corinth and he preached the gospel. Plain and simple, loud and clear. He didn't package it. He didn't make it look like something it wasn't. He went to Corinth, and the presentation that he gave was, listen, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't add to it. He didn't flower it up. He didn't do any of those things. He said, this is what I'm preaching, Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. He didn't make it sound or to be something it wasn't, or even make it palatable. He didn't say, listen, if you just take Jesus, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. All your wildest dreams will come true. Paul didn't preach that. Nor did any of the apostles. Nor did Jesus Christ himself. 
You might hear that on with the televangelist every now and then. That's not what Paul preached. He just preached the gospel. His presentation wasn't flowery. It was just the gospel. And then he said, I was weak in my person. When I came to you, I came in weakness and trembling and fear. Wouldn't you like, I would, wouldn't you like to have pictures from the first century? Wouldn't you like to really see what Jesus looked like? Maybe you wouldn't, but I would. I have a hunch that maybe he would look something different than what we portray him as today. I'm not sure that he would be white with flowing blonde hair or blue eyes. I just have a hunch that's probably not what he looked like. He was Jewish. okay. And, and Paul says, I came, and we don't know what Paul looked like, but we can guess. Scholars believe that Paul was a short man. The average height of a man in first century Palestine was 5'5". Five, five. Thank you, Dave. Amen. It's sad that's the only time he ever says amen. That's it. That's good. So 5'5". Five, five. Paul was a short man. He was older by this time. Um, some think that Paul had a humped back. He was hunchback. Some believe because of his eyesight that his eyes may have bugged out of his head. Probably balding at this time. We know that he was beaten. He bore in his body the marks of the Lord. Listen, when you looked at Paul, he was not the guy that you'd want to have your kids read them fairy tales or stories before they went to bed. Okay. He would probably be really scary to look at. And Paul said, listen, man, I came to you, I presented the gospel, it wasn't anything about me. That was the message. Uh, years ago, we had uh, a group of about four guys get baptized. They were young guys, and they were excited. It was a great, great service. And, and every one of those guys invited family members. And one particular guy invited his grandparents to come into our services. And, and the church was packed. It was back when this was just a long yellow hallway here. And it was packed, and it was exciting. And his grandparents had never been to a church like this. You know what I mean? Yeah, right? And some of you think, I know, I, I can't even bring people here because I don't, you're crazy, you'll be mean, you'll say mean things. And, right, it, it was one of those Sundays and it was just the gospel, and it was, they were here, and, and I know it, they were uncomfortable about being here, and I didn't want to make them uncomfortable, but I was just preaching the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and, and just excited about what was going on. So the service ended, the guys gave testimonies, it was wonderful, and one of the young men that was baptized went up to his grandparents and said, so what did you think about the service? And they both, I was over here, and they were back there, they pointed to me and said, is that guy even qualified to do what he's doing? <laughs> No, no, he's not. Um, and Paul said, I, I didn't worry about that. I just preached the gospel. Okay? And what he's doing here is this. He's laying down these arguments to say to the Corinthians, the world's not impressed with you. Quit trying, man. They're, they're not going to be impressed. What you think is wisdom, what you're trying to mimic, listen, we don't have that. Okay? And so he said, my gospel is based on the power of God that changes lives. So now stay with me. We're going to go now to verse number six. And here's where we've got to stay with what Paul's saying here, right? Verse number six. I want you to know, verse, the first five verses, uh, 
It's not impressive what we believe. They think we're crazy. We don't have any wisdom as far as they're concerned. And, and he says that's basically right. But in verse number 6, he says this. How be it? However, just wait a minute. He says, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. He says, I, I know the world doesn't think we know what we're talking about. And, and what we believe compared to what they think is crazy. But believer, and he says to the, those that are perfect, the mature ones, and he's even including the Corinthians here, which is amazing. Again, they're standing in Christ. To all believers, we do speak wisdom. There is wisdom that we speak to those that are mature. Those in Christ who know what we're talking about. We speak wisdom. Um, and, and just so, if, if you wonder what this wisdom is, okay, um, we already know what the wisdom is because in chapter 1 he told us in verses 22 and 23 that Jesus Christ crucified is the wisdom of God. So he says, we do speak wisdom among them that are perfect, not yet the wisdom of this world, nor of the prince of this world that come to naught. And so Paul is saying, okay, I know they think we don't have any wisdom, but I want you to know something. We do have wisdom. It is different. Our wisdom is Christ crucified. And their wisdom, what they think is so important, is coming to naught. Meaning, what the world thinks and what the world counts as important is coming to nothing. It is all passing away. All of it. All of it. Your standing, your position, your wealth, your car, your computer, your high score on Candy Crush, it is all passing away. All of it. And it doesn't matter this morning what your social status is. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter who your friends or your circle of influence is. The truth is, when it's all said and done, Paul makes it clear, the princes of this world, all of this is coming to nothing. And someday, if the Lord tarries is coming, everyone in this room, no matter what your status was on this planet, will all be in the same size box. And they all look just the same. It's all passing away. And so the world says, we have wisdom. Look at us and look what we do and look what we have and look at our, 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 our intellect and our sophistication. And Paul says, yeah, we have wisdom, but our wisdom is not passing away because this wisdom is eternal. Okay? Let's continue. Verse number 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. And this is where, I, if, if you ever wonder where I get my titles for my messages, don't wonder. I just sit in the office and something comes to mind, I put it on a paper, it doesn't make any sense. Okay? So if you're looking for a title for my message and says that's weird, it's because it's just weird. Okay? The, the title of the message today is Scooby-Doo's Mystery Van Slash Machine. Because of the word mystery. That, that's it. That, that was my inspiration. Okay, that, that was it. I thought, I, I know something about mystery. And the truth is, most of us think of mystery like that. Like, ooh, it's airy, it's scary. I don't, it's a mystery. But when God speaks of mystery here, and, and throughout the scripture, he uses the word hidden as well. It just means something that was unknown in the past that God has revealed this mystery. 
He says, this is the wisdom we have. It's this mystery. But it's not, God has revealed it. And, and something very interesting in that statement, he says, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. And so if you're missing what, the, what, the, what this mystery or this wisdom is, if you haven't received it yet, because we've been talking about Christ crucified, if you just know the scripture a little bit, you understand that Revelation chapter 13 says, Christ as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.4, he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. And so as we work our way through this, understand what Paul speaks of wisdom, when he says wisdom, he's talking about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You're going to see how important this is and how deep this is. Okay? Are you still with me? That wasn't as encouraging as the first time we did. Are you still with me? Okay, good. Very good. All right. Stay with me. Verse number 8 which none of the princes of this world knew. So let me ask you now, what did none of the princes of this world know? Christ crucified. The wisdom he's just talking about. Don't forget that. You're going to see this morning, you just can't read your Bible and grab a verse and pull it out. You've got to have the context. So he says, listen, which none of the princes of this world knew. Now some people say, well, those are principalities and powers and evils. I don't know, man. It just seems like the ones who crucified Lord. The Lord, I think what he's saying is here, listen, when Jesus walked on this planet, the Roman politicians, the Jewish leaders, they couldn't see it, man. They didn't know. They, they couldn't understand the wisdom of God, this wisdom that shows a crucified Messiah as the only hope of salvation. They just didn't get it. Because had they have known that, they wouldn't have crucified Him. Okay. Now watch verse number 9. And this is where we get messed up. Let me read this verse, and let's just pretend. Let's pretend you just showed up, and here's the verse I read, verse number 9. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. How many folks, you've heard that verse before? Yeah, most of us. How many folks like me, you heard at a funeral, and they're talking about heaven? Okay, some of you. Every time I've ever heard this verse preached or taught, it was always by itself. It was about heaven. And they'd say, listen, eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, nor even entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for him. We can't even imagine what heaven is like. And the truth is, that statement's true. We can't imagine what heaven's like. Some of you folks say, well, heaven's boring. It's going to be, you know, just floating on clouds and playing harps and eating, you know, Philly cream cheese, and, and that's the extent of heaven. None of that's true. The Philly cream cheese might be true, but the, the other stuff is not true. Okay, the Bible is vague about heaven. Okay, but here's the problem. This verse has nothing to do with heaven. It's a quote from Isaiah. Okay, listen, all scriptures in a context. You just can't take verse 9 and say, man, isn't heaven going to be glorious? We can't even imagine what God's going to do. Is that true? Yeah, probably, but that's not what that's saying. That verse has a verse before it. Hey, can you jump backwards on that thing? Hey, verse number 8, which none of the princes of the world knew. What didn't they know? They didn't know the gospel. They didn't know Christ. They, they couldn't see it. Verse number 9, but, which makes a connection to that verse as written, I have not seen nor ear heard. What's he talking about? The gospel. They didn't get it. They couldn't see it. They couldn't hear it. They didn't understand what God prepared for those that love him. And then, this is the kicker, look at verse number 10. Number 10 says... 
But God hath revealed it unto us. I'm amazed how many pastors will teach the Word of God and stop, and it says, wait a minute, we have no idea what heaven's about. And then they, come, they, they ignore verse 10, which says, but God hath revealed it unto us. You see the problem with that? Paul is saying they didn't understand the real wisdom of God, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. They couldn't see it. It couldn't enter in their hearts. But God has revealed that to us. This is an amazing... How does He do it? He does it by the Spirit. And the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. This is important now. Because Paul's going to make this case between those who have the Spirit and those who don't have the Spirit. Believers and non-believers. And what he's going to say to the believers at Corinth is this. Listen, quit acting like those who don't have the Spirit. Because the Spirit makes a difference. Or it should make a difference. And for you folks out there who, who get all bent out of shape about all you ever talk about is the gospel. <sighs> Can I tell you something? You want to know the deep things of God? Do you want to know the deepest thing of God? He's revealed it to us already. It's the person of Jesus Christ and His death on Calvary for the remission of sins. My brother and sister, listen to me, it doesn't get deeper than that. We can't fathom that. We don't even understand that. We scratch the surface of that. That is the depth and the knowledge and the wisdom of God. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the more we come in contact with it, and the more we love it and learn of it and go deeper into that, our lives change. Because the gospel has ramifications for everything. It affects how I think and how I act and how I move and how I treat my wife and my kids and how I treat you and how I treat others and how I work and being a man or a woman of integrity. It affects everything. And so Paul says, hey, for the believer, we have an idea of wisdom. We have real wisdom. It is the wisdom of God Christ crucified for you and for me. That's what he's speaking about, right? Verse number 11. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? And, and, and he said, make a point now, okay, now stay with me. He, he's, he's giving the idea of like no, is known unto like. He says, nobody knows what's going on inside of you like you do. Okay? Let me give you an example of this. Hannah, what am I thinking right now? You have no idea. Most people don't, okay? You're not a mind reader, right? Can I tell you what I was thinking just a minute ago? Of a unicorn with polka dots on it. Okay? That's really what I was thinking. She has no idea what, what's in my head or mind. Now, if I said it to my wife, she might know. She might slap me at times. All right? I'm going to be in trouble. But she doesn't even know. Nobody knows what's in me but me. Well, you can guess, and I could, you could see how I act, but the truth is, you know what's going on in my heart. And the truth is, this morning, I don't know what's going on in your heart. Now, I can guess. Some of you are like, hey, is it close? I can see. Or, or it was a long night for you, and you're tired, and will this guy ever shut up? I can guess, but I, I still don't know. Because no one knows you like you know you. Okay, that's the point he's making. Now, watch how he connects it. He says, even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. And what he's saying there is this. Just like no one knows you 
like you know you. No one knows God like God knows God. And the, the thing is this, we can't know him. Do you understand something this morning? God is unknown to us unless he reveals himself to us. We cannot find him out. We cannot use our intellect and our mind and our reason and our intuition. It does not work that way because when we think we can, we always come up with a false God. Always. It's, it's amazing to me, like with our, our, our makeup. If you're here this morning and, and you are mean, number one, stop being mean. Okay, it's not, it's, it's bad. Don't be mean. You're tired of Christian people who are mean. Stop being mean. And you know who you are. Okay? Stop it. But you're mean, and so in your mind, your God that you create is a God who is a, he's a tyrant, man. He's the resident policeman who's always looking to bust somebody. And when he does, you're glad for it. Except with you, but with everyone, you're glad for it. Listen, you know what you've done? You have made a false God that you worship. God hasn't revealed himself like, that's not God. And for some of you who love your sin right now and you're comfortable with where you're at, you create a God too, and your God is a mixed sleepy head. And he sort of just dozes off all the time. And he's unaware of what's going on in your life, and you like it like that. Those are false gods. God must reveal himself to us. Because we don't know him unless he does it. And here's the amazing thing. No one knows but the Spirit of God. Look at verse number 12. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. For the believer this morning, God's spirit illuminates us, he enlightens our minds and our eyes, and he reveals who God truly is to us. That's wisdom, and that's what Paul's talking about. Verse number 13. Which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. And again, he's reminding the Corinthian believers, listen, you have the Spirit of God. He is within you. He reveals God to you and what God expects from you. So don't live like the world. Live like the Spirit of God instructs you. Because we don't speak the same things that the world speaks. We don't use the same wisdom. Listen, when you come to church... What you hear here within these walls should be totally different from what you hear at work every day. From what you hear on the, at the shop, on the line, from the media, from Hollywood. It should be different. Because we don't speak the same language. We don't say the same things. Our language is spiritual. If, if you're going to church, and when you leave church, it sounded like Dr. Phil. Or Oprah. Or Jerry Springer, which some churches may sound that way. Or pop culture. If that's what it sounded like when you were there, you're in the wrong place, man. Because we think differently now. The Spirit of God has come within our hearts and lives. He's revealed God to us and what He expects. We should be different. Our thoughts about God are different. Our thoughts about ourselves are different. We see ourselves as sinners. At the same time, we see ourselves beloved in Christ. It's an amazing thing. Our thoughts about heaven and hell are different. Our thoughts about morality and ethics are different. Our thoughts about sexuality and marriage and children and family are different. It's supposed to be. 
And that's Paul's point. Corinthian believers, Chatham believers, you've been given the Spirit of God, the greatest gift. He's in you, and He should be changing you. And when you hear God's Spirit and God's Word, you should act in accordance with that. And Paul is sort of shaking them up because he loves them. Something's wrong with the believer who's not being influenced by the Spirit of God. Either they're not a believer, or they're so sleepy and immature that they're not growing up. And that's a problem. And Paul says, we don't speak the same thing. We've got the Spirit of God. Verse number 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And remember, Paul, stay with me, Paul, still speaking about the spiritual man, the non-spiritual man. When he says the natural man, he is talking about any man or woman who does not have the Spirit of God within them. He says they don't receive the things of God because those things are spiritually discerned. He's not saying that the man or woman without Christ doesn't know anything. That's not what he's saying. He is saying that man or that woman cannot know fully what God has revealed by His Spirit because they didn't have the Spirit. Don't be all bent out of shape when someone who is lost doesn't understand why you live your life the way you live. They shouldn't. They can't get it. I read this the other day. It was from C.S. Lewis in, in uh, Mere Christianity. Because even the natural man or woman without Christ there is still something within them. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says he has put eternity within all of our hearts. That we might not get spiritual things, but one thing we do get, we're leaving this planet. And all of us, you can suppress it if you want to, but all of us know there's got to be more than this. Where does that come from? Here's what Lewis writes. He says, Christians say, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Man, men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise nor to be unthankful for the earthly blessings, and on the other hand, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy, echo, or mirage. What is he saying? Listen to me. If there is within your heart a desire for eternal life and nothing in this planet can satisfy it, it probably means it will never be satisfied in this planet. It was meant for another world, eternal life with Jesus Christ. And everybody has that. Everybody. But Paul says, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They don't get what we're talking about. Don't be frustrated with your friends and families who think you're crazy. I think you're crazy. We are crazy at times. It's, it doesn't make any sense. But they can't get it. It's ridiculous to think that they will get it. 
They're blinded. They cannot see. It would be like this morning asking a blind man, hey, do you like the color of my tie? Right? He doesn't get it. It'd be ignorant to ask that question. And the guy or the woman without the Spirit of God just doesn't get it. Don't be frustrated with them. Be patient with them. We should be frustrated with Christians who have the Spirit of God and don't practice truth. I'm much more on that team of frustration. Verse number 15. And, and this is one of those great verses that you, you pull this out of context, it doesn't mean what you're talking about. Remember, everything's in verse 15. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judge of no man. Like, what in the world? You hear people say, I'm spiritual. Therefore, don't tell me anything in my life. Because I am spiritual. Okay? That's not what he's talking about there at all. We were talking in class this morning. Stan did a great job on the idea of judging. And there are two verses in all of Scripture that everybody in the world knows. Here's the first one. Take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Every drunk in the world knows that verse. Every, every one of them. I'm, honestly, every one of them. Take a little wine for your stomach's sake. I've heard it over and over again. And the other verse that everyone knows is this one, Matthew 7.1. Judge not, lest you be judged. Right? And so this, this concept of, well, um, you just Christians, you're all messed up. You can't judge me because I'm spiritual. I shouldn't be judging anybody anyways. Wait a minute. Remember, everything's a context. Matthew 7 isn't written on its own. As a matter of fact, the entire chapter speaks about making judgment calls. Stan alluded to this morning. Verse 20 says, by your fruits you'll know them. So he, we, we do make judgment calls. We have to. He's talking there about this self-righteous attitude of the Pharisee and the hypocrite who brings themselves up and they have this ridiculous standard that's their standard, not God's standard. And they want to question and gauge the person and their motives and their heart, which they can't see. That's what he's talking about there. Paul is judging the Corinthian church here. He's telling them, you guys are crazy, man. And later he's going to tell them to judge another believer inside the church. So what's he talking about there? Can, can we say, hey, I'm spiritual, brother. I know I'm doing some things that are wrong, but don't talk to me right now. Don't talk to me. I don't want to hear it. Is, is that what he's talking about? No. Remember the context. Hey, let's jump back to verse 14. There we go. The natural man, without the Spirit of God, he didn't know anything about the things of God. They're foolish. They're spiritually discerned. He can't not know them. That's what he's talking about. Go to verse 15 now, and what he's saying is this. We that are spiritual, that have truth, that know God, know who he is, the truth is, I'm not worried about what the world thinks about me anymore. They can't make a judgment call on me because they don't understand salvation. They don't understand the Bible. They don't understand Jesus Christ. They can't understand why I do what I do. They have no idea. That's what he's talking about there. It's not that I stand up and you can't judge me. We are in community. We're supposed to, to edify and encourage and rebuke one another spiritually by the word of God. This is, this is not what he's talking about. He's talking about the world. They have no right saying, hey, you guys are crazy. They just don't get it. They can't get it. Verse number 16. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? We sang about it this morning. Who knows? Nobody. We don't know the mind of the Lord. We can't instruct him. But then he says something amazing. But we have the mind of Christ. And again, it's that connection of God's Spirit 
who lives within the believer. So that now, as a believer, I know what God wants. I know what He expects. It's clear. Can I tell you something? You are not going to understand everything in this book. You're just not. I've been this for a long time. Can I tell you? The longer I go, the more I think, I have no idea. There are some things, I just, they are, they're, they're beyond me. I just, can't, I just can't get some of it. But can I tell you something? The main things in this book are the plain things. And the plain things are the main things. And for the believer, we have the mind of Christ. We know what he wants for our lives. We don't have to wonder or guess or make things up. We have the Spirit of God to guide and direct and to lead us so that we can come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. We can live a holy life. We can please Him. Because I now have the mind of Christ. He lives within me. And the key to the Christian life is then listening to the Spirit and obeying the Spirit. Okay, two questions this morning. Number one, do you have the Spirit of God? Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you do. And if you don't, you're lost without Him. You can't get it. You cannot know. It doesn't make any sense. And that's okay. The Spirit has to reveal that to you. Question number two, if you have the mind of Christ... Are you walking in accordance with what he says? And if not, why not? Because the wisdom of this world is passing away. All of it. And the only thing that is eternal is this. is what God says, his direction and everything else is meaningless. And too many of us as believers are getting wrapped up in the nonsense of this world. The Corinthians did it, and we do it. Fussing and fighting and bickering and sides and, and, and this and that and a click here and a click there and suing her and suing him and upset with them and messing up on marriage and abandonment and our sexuality and all the, the things. And we're bombarded every day and Paul says, wait a minute. We have wisdom. It's not like the world's wisdom. It's much deeper than that. It's the wisdom of God through Jesus Christ that changes everything. And by His grace this morning, let's not be like the Corinthian believer. Let's be like the believer who says, I have the mind of Christ. Not, not in arrogance or pride. I don't know, but I, Lord, I know what you want. And by your grace, help me to live a life that pleases you this morning. Let's have a word of prayer.